You're listening to American Girl Women with Laura Treader and Lindsay Adams-Franca. This is a podcast where two millennial gals gather around the microphone and reminisce on the cultural phenomenon that took our childhood by storm, American Girl Dolls. Contrary to what you might think, we aren't just talking about dolls here. We're diving into the high highs and the low lows of getting hooked on American Girl and all the childhood memories that come flooding back. So join us and a few special guests each week as we become American Girl Women. Today on American Girl Women, we are joined by Monica Wendell. Monica grew up in Long Island, New York, where she loved playing outside, playing pretend, reading, and of course, American Girl. Today, Monica lives in Harlem, New York, and is an associate professor of composition and creative writing and author of poetry collections, English Kills and No Apocalypse. We are so excited to chat with her today about all things AG, including her very unique experience that we all dreamed about growing up. Monica was featured as a paper doll in the American Girl magazine in the 90s. And for those unfamiliar, this was a feature in American Girl magazine where each issue, a girl was selected to trace her family history back several generations and share their stories through paper dolls that you could then pop out of the magazine and play with. We absolutely cannot wait to hear all the details. Monica, welcome to AGW. Lindsay and Mara, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We are so excited to have you and dive into all of your AG memories. This is going to be such an exciting convo, I think. (laughs) I fully agree. Monica, we cannot wait to chat with you. You first connected with us over Instagram DM and right away we were like, we need to have this girl on our podcast immediately. So thank you so much for joining us today. But before we get into all things American Girl, what were you like growing up? Um, you know, I was pretty antisocial. Um, I really remember a lot of times playing on the playground by myself and very much not wanting to play with other kids. My mom would arrange play dates for me and I would kind of get in trouble because I would just read a book during them. Like I wouldn't want to play with the other kids. So luckily that's something I've grown out of, um, as a kid. Yeah, definitely. I really liked being on my own. I liked being outside and I loved reading. That's icon behavior. Honestly. (laughs) Monica, what's your sign? If you don't mind me asking. I'm a Libra. Um, but you know, to be honest, when I I say that about my childhood, I'm a professor now and (laughs) it's like the same story. Like we go on the faculty retreat together and everyone's like, Oh yeah, that's what I did too as a little kid. So I think, um, I managed to find myself in the right job. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Sounds like it. I mean, I think that, like I said, I think that's kind of like icon behavior, like just, you know, gotta like do you and you wanted to be reading that book not doing the play date so I have respect for it for sure (laughs) seriously (laughs) aside from AG books of course what were you into like were you into any other series I loved Little House on the Prairie um and you know there it feels like there's a lot of overlap between Kirsten and Laura Ingalls Wilder so I really um loved the um love those books and the whole series you know um I think there's like little house in the forest is one of them and I used to just lose myself in those books I I loved them so much uh those books are so great I grew up reading those as well and like I definitely didn't complete like the entire series I feel like there's endless variations of the little house books and characters (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I think her daughter wrote some books too. Um, I think her daughter's name was Rose. So her her daughter also also got into it, which just continuing on. I love that. I'm also like itching to get my hands on Anne of Green Gables. Like I've read the first book, but like again, there are so many to the series. Mm-hmm. Like that that world just like continued right on after the first book. Oh. In a Mm -hmm. huge way for those ones specifically, like those are very intergenerational. I feel like they go into like her children as well, but yeah, yeah, both of those series, I feel like are worth a reread because like there's some of them that I remember so strongly and some of them I'm not having as like strong of a memory of, but they were just like the best books, both of those series. Like it's one of the first times I feel like as a kid, like I personally remembered like connecting to a a book series. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like by the time I was a kid, there was like a lot of 
other options around, but I feel like there's a reason why they're kind of like classics. Like they're just relatable regardless of generation. Definitely. I also think like it's an exciting time to be reading books in your life because it has the potential to actually kind of change who you are. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer now and pretty much all the stuff I write is for adults. And on one hand, I love it. But on the other hand, I sometimes feel like, oh, I kind of want a different audience because, you know, by the time we're adults, we're all fully formed. You know, I I mostly write poetry. The people reading my poetry are people who read poetry. I'm not going to convert someone. Um, But the few times that I have written for kids, it feels, you feel like you're actually really touching someone in a way that's different when you're writing for adults. Oh, interesting. Could you talk a little bit more about what you've written for children? Yeah, um, I worked with a group called Puppets and Poets. And um, one of the, I guess, tenets of that group is that people tend to think of poetry as pretty obscure. But if you have a puppet reading a poem, suddenly they're into all kinds of surreal leaps, all kinds of images. And so it was an organization that teamed up puppets and uh, puppeteers and poets. So I got to do um, I got to do two different shows with them, and the second one was was for kids, and I wrote about a whale, and it was just magical. We performed at the Bushwick Star Theater, and I worked with these puppeteers, and at the climax of this show, we had the whale um, let forth all of these bubbles. So the bubbles flew out into the audience. It was this beautiful moment. And then all of a sudden the kids rushed the stage and it was completely unexpected. We were not expecting the kids to, you know, come on stage. and it was just a moment where, you know, you can, you can read poetry in all kinds of places and the audience is never going to rush the stage the way kids will. So um, wow. I, loved, I loved that. Um, I worked for a long time also on a, on a middle grade novel that completely failed. <laughs> like since, spent four years working on a failed novel. Um, so I worked on that for a long time and just gave that up pretty recently, realized I needed to shift gears a little bit and try to do something else. Um, so I, but I, I love children's literature. You know, I didn't at all study it in graduate school or in undergrad. It's something I've become more interested in recently. And I find myself also just really interested in how political children's literature is. I think that People tend to think of that as a new phenomenon, um, especially with, say, the Hunger Games. But American Girl was doing that, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Um, They were showing young, they were showing girls as political entities in the Revolutionary War or, you know, during World War II or um, in all of these different situations, all these really important historical moments And I do think about that in the context of some of the controversy around whether or not children's literature is too dark. And also, if I'm talking too much, please just stop No, no. But, you know, it is something that you hear a lot lately that children's literature is too dark and it's, you know, presenting these adult themes when kids don't really experience that. Um, But I think that, you know, the American Girl books really showed children making political decisions, being politically aware, and being aware of themselves within a world that I think is very astute, um, that the girls are, the girls in the book are, are not just aware of themselves in terms of their own personality, but they're aware of their class, right? Samantha, that, I mean, I can't wait for someone to do a Marxist criticism of the Samantha books, right? Um, <laughs> all of those, um, all of those conflicts, um, you know, um, or with Kirsten, you know, when she emigrates here and um, goes with her family to the Midwest, they all had like a really strong understanding of their place within the world, um, like socio-historically, I would say, and and with class. too. Sure, definitely. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like, you know, we've talked with past guests about like, you know, the bigger historical context surrounding the books, but I don't think we've like specifically just touched on the fact that like there there's a political element to it. And I it 
does make me think and you know similar to like Anne of Green Gables and Little House on the Prairie it like makes me want to go back and try to like see like okay how put myself in my nine-year-old shoes reading it and be like how did I receive this message as a nine-year-old because I think right. we we just assume that goes over kids heads maybe or that they have not like a um completely nuanced understanding of those types of themes but yeah I think that you know, kids are capable of understanding and digesting and disseminating like way more than I think we assume as adults, like, and especially like looking back, you know, at ourselves as kids, like, you know, I, I don't know that like, I would have been able to disseminate all that, but maybe I was, and I just like, wasn't conscious of it. So it's, it's a really interesting thought. I feel like to think of it that way. Yeah. And I feel like that leap happens so quickly from like, you know, learning to read and having, you know, basic beginner, uh, books going to like harder themes, like, you know, reading American girl, you know, for me, at least I was in second, third, fourth grade. And like quickly after I remember reading some like pretty dark books. Like I read a lot about the Holocaust. Um, Mm -hmm. I had this like now looking back on it, I think this is a, I don't know. I think this is a strange series and I don't know why I was so into it, but they were books by an author who I believe was called Lurleen McDaniel for anyone who this might ring a bell. It was a whole series about kids with terminal illnesses, like falling in love, like going to like sleepaway camps and like having relationships. And then maybe this is like a little precursor to like the fault in our stars or whatever that mm-hmm. is called. That was a little bit after my time, but, um, I was like, wait a second. Why was I reading this when I was like 10 years old? I mean, I think the thing that there could be something to that is that like, definitely as a kid, more so than as an adult, like, I think almost as an adult, like you crave familiarity, like you gravitate towards certain genres that, you know, you like and yeah. whatnot. But as a kid, I feel like you're always looking for things to like, learn about or expand so you want to like read about things that you don't know and you're like actually like searching for knowledge and it's like more of a novelty I don't know like so maybe you know I think that's also why specifically like the historical context of the American Girl books like I was dying to know know about what it was like for a girl my age during those time periods and like just because it was like unfamiliar and stuff like that made it e- almost even more of um an interest to me so yeah I guess all that's to say is that like it's just like when you're a kid you're just like primed for like your peak learning days mm-hmm. and like I think American mm-hmm. Girl's like a perfect fit for that yeah definitely yeah. And I think, you know, the American Girl stories present the protagonists as so powerful. They tend to have power within their families. Um, The adults tend to listen to them, not every adult, but many of the adults. And um, there was one moment in one of the Kirsten books that always struck me as off. And I don't know if you remember this moment, but they, it's when she gets lost in New York City. Um, They come off the boat from, I guess, somewhere in Sweden. And basically, I I don't remember if she's dawdling and not listening to them or if they're not listening to her, but she gets lost in New York City. And it was this moment in the book that struck me as first off her parents being very unfair to her. But also, I think there's something that struck me as off within the context of all the American girl books, because in them, the parents are not the enemies. Um, the parents, I think, in those books, as far as I remember, do tend to to listen to the girls, um, respect them, respect their opinions. Um, and that was a moment that always struck me as off. You know, compared to something like in Felicity, when she decides, you know, to boycott tea, like that's a decision she makes that's respected within her family. Um, and so I think. Part of it too that feels that felt very attractive as a child was was noticing the power that they had and um, being able to apply that to my own life, feeling like these small decisions that I made actually had some weight and had meaning in a way that I'd never thought about them before. Mm, definitely. Mm. I mean, going yes. back to the Kirsten book, 
I mean, I think that's like the, the starting point of my anxiety. Like how is Kirsten ever going to be <laughs> reunited with her family in New York after getting lost? Because I think she was like wandering around the streets for, you know, hours and trying to find her family. And like she doesn't speak English, right? Any English and she's, you know, trying to find her family. Seriously. Poor Kirsten, like already traumatized by like, Oh wait, I don't think her friend had died at that point because I think, I think she gets to America and her, her friend Marta is alive. And then her friend passes, um, on the next leg of the journey. I believe. I completely forgot about that. Mm -hmm. I forgot that her friend died. Oh my goodness. That was a hard book for me, for sure. Like I remember reading that and that being like a, a very specific moment of realizing that kids could pass away too and it not being a pleasant memory for me but um <laughs> I mean it's all it's all you know you have to find out some someday I just love the idea of the, the fact that Kirsten had her like home alone lost in New York storyline yeah, happening honestly. <laughs> very traumatic but kind of iconic <laughs> right I mean like not like I don't even remember like how she found her family again but that's like terrible to think about being lost in a, in a place that you're not familiar with, you don't speak the language. The sun was probably setting too. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm glad she found her way back. Yeah. She, um, I remember that she finds sort of like a kind stranger and she draws the stranger, a picture of a boat and <laughs> stranger brings back to the dock. That oh my God. Lines. That was, that was how that plot point was resolved. You know what that just like made me think of is that like, I don't think that I've spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that like Kirsten and Josefina are two American girl characters that don't speak English as their primary first mm. language. I never um, thought about that. Yeah, like because, you know, of course we're like reading the books in English, but they like have, you know, little hints here and there to like some common words and phrases but yeah I don't I don't think I've ever really thought about that until now but like yeah. just thinking about you know Josefina being from like the southwest but like a native Spanish speaker and Kirsten being an immigrant and a native Swedish speaker I think is like I don't know it's very it's very interesting because it, it's a total departure from the other girls that are like typical you know, American in terms right. of like speaking English as their first language and whatnot. Um, so, you know, just to add another layer of trauma to Kirsten's situation, <laughs> not speaking the language, I'm sure was like, so scary. But let's get into the AG of it all. So Monica, <laughs> what was your first exposure to American Girl? Do you remember how you first got into it? You know, I don't remember how I first got into it. I think I was in first or second grade and it must have been my mom who bought me the books or bought me the dolls or something like that. Um, but I had a really good friend, Natalie, who actually I'm, I'm still friends with. And I remember going to her house and we would play with our American Girl dolls. So I don't, I don't have like a specific first memory, but I do remember, you know, I love Felicity. I think Felicity was my favorite. And then I would read the catalog. I would read the magazine. I would read the books. I mean, thinking about it now, there's there was quite a bit of content, like a lot of different ways to engage with American girls. And, it, yep. you know, the magazine, the catalog, the dolls, and the books were all this way that you could enter into this American girl world. Absolutely. Was Felicity the first doll that you received? Yes, I got Felicity first, and then I got, I want to say I got Addie second, and then I'm pretty sure my sister had Kirsten, but my sister was not really as into them as I was. I don't ever remember playing with them with my sister. Okay, was your sister uh, older or younger? She was older. She's, mm. she's a year and a half older. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask because like, We've, we've definitely, like, experienced that, like, where some siblings, like, all got dolls, but, like, only one sibling was, like, super into it, but 
kind of makes it better because then you can just monopolize all three of them. (laughs) Seriously. Do you, do you remember when you got Felicity? Was it for your birthday or a holiday? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I really don't know. Um, it was, it must've, maybe it was for my birthday. Um, yeah, I really can't remember when I got Felicity. I can't, I can't remember when I got her. (laughs) <laughs> but right around when she came out, um, that must have been what the early '90s when Felicity came out. Yeah, I think I got my Felicity around the same time, like pretty soon after she launched, and like I was immediately enamored with her. Like I, I didn't even look at another doll. Like I only wanted Felicity, and similar to you, Monica. Like I know I got her for Christmas, but like. I do not remember like opening the box on Christmas morning. Like my mom and I went through like old VHS, the old VHS tapes uh, earlier this year to try to pinpoint like which Christmas I received her. And on none of the tapes, does it show me opening her either? Like, I I don't know. I I have her. She's in, she's in my apartment now. She exists, Mm -hmm. but like, there's no like clear memory on like when she came into my life other than we think she came on Christmas. <laughs> Do you I, think- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I love that. Like your mom doesn't really remember either. <laughs> oh my God. My, what did she say? My mom was like, I was in the attic looking for receipts. Like she was just trying to look for her like credit card statements at the time. Like nothing <laughs> indicated that Felicity was purchased. She was just, uh, magically appearing some at some point <laughs> well I mean I'm I don't know if you two think this I I sort of wonder if the toys are almost like a slow burn you know I because now that I think about it if I was playing with the dolls when I was six I certainly wasn't reading the chapter books when I was six right or, or maybe was but it, it feels like part of why I still feel so connected to it and maybe why other people do too is because you could kind of enter back into the toys, right? Like even if you outgrew say the doll, then you could enter into the books and then you could kind of get back to the doll. And by having all these different pieces, like you didn't exactly grow out of a toy because you could, you could keep back entering back into it. And I wonder if that's also why both of us don't remember opening the doll, right? Because Mm -hmm. Part of it was that the present kind of grew on you, you know, because the other thing is I reread those books, you know, like I read them over and over and over again. And so your love for the, for the gift kind of grew. So I think most gifts, you know, your high is the first moment you get it and then it's a steady downhill, but with the dolls, you know, your pleasure in it, or at least for me, my pleasure with them grew and grew and grew as I read the books over and over again. And I think that's just something unlike any toy I had as a kid. Um, yeah. toy I had that where you have that kind of relationship with it. Just going to say, I think like a very unique thing that American Girl does with the way that they almost like keep the characters as like an expanding persona where like even the like consumeristic aspects of it with like outfits and stuff are tied to a book so you know like if you're expanding on your love for Samantha as a character because you read her birthday story and it kind of like makes you like appreciate having the doll and the birthday outfit and like the context behind it so I think it was very smart for them to like tie those two things together um rather than having it just be like okay like these are the outfits these are the books and you Mm -hmm. know they're totally separate entities yeah Um, that's that's a good point because you know there really are three four touch points for like one singular thing right like you could have the doll and the outfit. You're also reading about the doll and her outfit in the book. You are seeing the doll and the outfit in the catalog, which in itself is, you know, such a pillar of American girl. And at a certain point, you're also, you know, interacting with it online as well. Like there are all these different ways that you're seeing that same, um, you know, piece of merchandise or, you know, piece of clothing in, in different forms. 
but what were some of the items that you had for your dolls that you remember? Well, did you have any of the clothing or furniture for them? I, you know, I don't think I had any of the furniture. I, I'm pretty sure I remember having the clothing, especially Felicity had an outfit that was a whitish lacy dress with, I think, roses, striped roses. I, uh, I think I remember that. Um, I that do- is Felicity's finest outfit, truly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, I don't really, I do remember repurposing things from I, I do remember repurposing other things and pretending that they were for the dolls so I, I think I mentioned that my my mom never bought me you know the the child size clothing but I had a dress that I thought of as Kirsten's dress I had a wicker lunchbox that I thought of as Kirsten's lunchbox I remember that Kirsten walked to school and I think they took turns carrying lunchbox or maybe that's from Laura Ingalls Laura Ingalls Wilder maybe that maybe I'm mixing up details but I remember packing the lunchbox pretending that I was Kirsten and just finding so much joy in that it felt so satisfying you know it felt so sad mm. oh this is what Kirsten ate for lunch and this yep. is what her house looked like and I also remember thinking a lot about their shoes, what what kinds of different shoes each of the girls wore that that was just a really visceral memory. Um, And I can't remember if it was part of the books or if it was just part of the the doll collection. I can't remember where that detail comes from, but it's it's embedded in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think like when you go through the. you know, different historical time periods that the girls are present in. This the shoe technology is actually jumping ahead by leaps and bounds, depending <laughs> on if you're talking about like a Kirsten versus a Samantha. So it's right. it is like they just had so many good details like that though that were like fun to fixate on. And I feel like the the books did such a good job with like the descriptions of what, you know, the feel and look of the clothes mm-hmm. were like. And then I feel like the outfits for the dolls like really lined up with like how they were described and portrayed in the books so like that just made it like even more you know enjoyable and like even if you had to like improvise like you know you were using those like amazing descriptions to do so um so yeah I mean I think like the books were just so good at like even bringing like the catalog aspects to life and even if you didn't have like you know the $100 in 1990s dollars like <laughs> ni- historical outfit or nine like nightgown or whatever like you knew like how to improvise because like you had almost like researched it a little bit right totally and, finding the equivalent yeah exactly exactly and um, Laura, that's such a good point that you made about how well it lined up between everything I never really thought about that but you're right that's part of why it was so satisfying you know what was described in the book that Kirsten ate for lunch was exactly what was in the catalog when they were selling her lunchbox. And, you, you know, I'd never really thought about that, but I think that's that's part of this connection that we feel. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting for me, you know, I teach creative writing and something that I'm always telling my students is give us the sensory details, like give us what it tastes like, what it feels like, especially sense and taste are so closely tied to emotion. And it is really interesting thinking about how food plays into all of the books, you know, Molly's rations. I remember, didn't she want to bake a birthday cake, but there's like not enough sugar with her rations. Yep. Yep. That detail, you know, of course, Felicity with the tea. I remember, um, and I remember, you know, Kirsten with her lunch and it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I do have to say as someone teaching creative writing, this is something I'm always trying to tell my students is give us the details of of what it really felt like, what it tasted like, you know, if something was, I also remember Felicity's bonnet, right? Like the, or sorry, that was Kirsten's bonnet being hot. And they got those details just, they, they really did such a good job of those. And it also makes me wonder, I wonder what their team of researchers was, you know, were they employing a bunch of under, you know, were they employing a bunch of history PhD students to like go back and find archives and oral histories because yep. 
or did they all just make it up? You know, it, it, um, I, I do wonder how they managed to achieve all, all of those details. Yeah. I mean, they definitely had a a pretty robust research team, especially as it went into, um, launching some of the, the later dolls that needed that like, um, historic accuracy for context. Um, especially as we saw with the launch of Kaya and, um, Rebecca in the early two thousands, but, I would be interested to learn a bit more about the research process, especially for some of like the first dolls that American Girl launched. But what I also loved about the books was the peek into the past section. I thought reading the historic fiction of all of the American girls was always like further driven home by that section in the back that really went into more of like the history of the time as like a point of nonfiction in the back of the book to really show that, you know, this, this was how it was. And this isn't just a story. It is based on facts. Yeah. That's a great forgot. Yeah. I I completely forgot they had those sections. I like, I, until you mentioned that I, and I'm not even sure I remember those sections. Yeah. Here I'll, I'll cut this, but like, I'll just pull, pull one up right here since I have my Samantha books. So we have like the end of her book and then it looks like it's about like 10 pages or so in the back, like with photographs. It's so cool. Just going into a bit more of like the history and showing Mm -hmm. the fashion um, and different uh, historic events at the end of each book. Cool. Cool. Yeah, very cool. I I always really gravitated towards that. Well, so Monica, we've been talking about your experience with the dolls and the catalogs a little bit, but now I think we'd love to hear about your experience with the magazine. And you had a very unique experience with the magazine because you actually got an opportunity to be featured in the magazine. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so my mom did all the legwork for that. I, I didn't, and and I think you were like, I think the girls were supposed to be the ones doing the family research. I'm pretty sure my mom did all of that research. Um, and we actually did it on my dad's side of the family because they have a a lot more records. So, um, my mom really gathered these materials, and and my grandmother has a lot of it and had a lot of it too. Um and gathered those photographs and gathered those family stories, sent it in, and then I was in the magazine. So it came out in November, December, 1994. So right after I turned nine. And it was really exciting. I remember that I got a pen pal from it. So one of my dad's work friends, daughters read the magazine. So she and I became pen pals. I there was a thing in my hometown library about it. They had wow. a, a little, or it was big. They had, they had a display that said meet Monica Wendell. And then they had all of the paper dolls and the little stories and things like that. And then I was also in what I don't even remember the Long Islander. So there was like a little article in the Long Islander news. Oh, wow. Wow. So, oh my goodness. Mama. Yeah. So, so it was really exciting. And yeah, I think the only point that I would say felt frustrating is that for me as a kid is that, you know, in here, I said very explicitly that when um, that my ambition was to be an author. So it was on the paper doll and everything. But the grownups kept thinking that I wanted to be a model. They kept thinking that I wanted to be a child model. And I was like, it says on the paper doll. <laughs> author you know um so that was the one thing that felt frustrating to me oh my gosh oh my gosh she was misunderstood seriously (laughs) wait who who thought that about you someone from like the newspaper or um you know for I would say the adults in who were not familiar with American Girl magazine got it a child modeling thing so for Mm. They, so like adults who obviously did not read American Girl magazine thought that the paper doll was basically the same as like being on the cover or something. Oh, interesting. But you weren't modeling. You know, I I sent in just my childhood photos. And as far as I understood, and I, you know, I'm sure this is the case, 
you know, they didn't choose you based on what you looked like. They chose you based on the story. Right. Right. If you didn't know the magazine and things like that, you would likely think that it was more, more like being on the cover or something. Yeah, definitely. Were you, I have so many questions about this. Um, (laughs) Were, were you informed prior to it going to print that you would be featured in the magazine? Like how much advance notice did you get? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely knew ahead of time. So we definitely knew ahead of time that I would be in the magazine. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and then just going back, like jumping back, can anybody or could anybody submit to become a paper doll? Like, was there a point in the catalog that told you where to like write in what information they needed? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's, um, right here. Yeah. They have a be a doll section. Uh-huh. Anyone could send in. Um, anyone wow. Could, and, you know, looking at it, it's actually super, the instructions are super clear. It's just four steps. So stories about your, like, you know, your ancestors when they were girls, photocopies of pictures of them at, when they were girls, pictures and stories about yourself, and then just a self, self-addressed stamped envelope. And that was all they asked for. So, um, it's interesting, you know, looking back through the magazine and looking at your Instagram too, and realizing how much of the magazine really reached out to the readers and looked for people to write in. You know, you mentioned the signatures too. Yes. A lot of the magazine, you know, it was obviously before the internet, but it's still, um, it, I would say it's it's a similar feeling in terms of reaching out and having some kind of back and forth with the Yes. There, it feels like there's a lot of points in the magazine where they're reaching out to the readers and saying, send us this, send us this, you know, give us your signatures, write in, whatever it is. Um, and I think that feels, and I think that also goes back to like this really strong connection that a lot of us feel um, to, to American Girl. Definitely. Yeah. The original user-generated content, Lizzie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, honestly, though. And that's really, you know, what we're trying to capture with our podcast as well. You know, like we're not interviewing necessarily like celebrities or people that are unattainable. I mean, except for you, Monica, as a paper doll, you are part of a very exclusive club here. Um, but really, you know, tapping into like the general uh um, American girl nostalgia from, you know, everyday gals who enjoyed it growing up. And, you know, that's kind of what they showed us in the historic books as well, you know, the everyday Mm -hmm. life. And, Mm, um, I'm so curious about the women in your family that you had highlighted in your paper dolls. Would you be able to do like a brief, like, um, walkthrough of who, uh, is featured in the paper dolls? Sure. So, um, since we did my dad's side of the family, um, the, the first woman highlighted is not my mom, but my grandma, my grandma Ingrid, who actually I will be seeing on Saturday. So I'm very lucky that she's still part of my life. Wonderful. Um, And it's interesting too. I, I can't remember the exact timing, but at some point after this, my grandmother wrote her memoir of of her childhood and her memories. And there is a part of me that wonders, you know, like, did did this sort of, I guess, prompt her to go back and write down her memories in in and her recollections of them and have this record of what had happened. Um, so it was my grandmother Ingrid and um the one of the stories about my grandmother Ingrid is uh, planting a vegetable garden. So her um, her family had a flower garden and my grandmother's father was a painter and I think not very practical. And my grandmother is very practical. So as a child, she started a vegetable garden um, planting flowers. <laughs> wow. Vegetable garden. She still, she still plants vegetables and loves that. That's so sweet. Oh, and where, so where did nice. she grow up? So she grew up in Germany. Um, and so she grew up in Germany in Berlin. And um she um she lived through World War II and after World War II ended up coming to um 
meeting my grandfather and coming to America. Wow. And then who who is the the next woman uh, that was featured? So that was Ingrid's mother, Marguerite, who we always called Louie. And um, so my grandmother, Ingrid's father, was a painter. And as a family, they didn't have a ton of money, but Marguerite came from money. So there was this I like gap, I would say, between my great-grandfather and great-grandmother. So my grandma, Ingrid, um, so with Marguerite, it's about her wearing some some fancy clothes and having all these toys and things, whatever she wanted. Um, that's part <laughs> of it <right> there. <laughs> Love it. Love that. How far back does it go? What is like the earliest date? The earliest one is 1842. So wow. great, great grandmother, Rosalie. So on my dad's side of the family, they have really good records, um, really good records. And we have photos of all of them too. So there's a photograph of Rosalie and yeah, there's a photograph of Rosalie here too. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's really cool. And how cool that you had all that, you know, accessible um, for this activity. That's so special. Yeah. It really is. Oh my goodness. Do you remember your friends' reactions when you were in, when, when your issue came out? Yeah, I think, I think I was excited. I, we were all really excited. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it was really exciting. It, it, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that you held on to the magazine too. Like, so you can <laughs> still look back. I actually had not held on to the magazine. Oh, um, but I, what happened was, I want to say a couple months ago, I was actually visiting my grandma and she had had, she had a copy of the magazine. Oh. Um, so I, and she gave it to me or no way. It was my aunt had a copy. Sorry. It wasn't, I was visiting my grandma, but my aunt was there and my aunt had a copy of the magazine. So um, she gave it to me, which I was really happy to have. I, I did have a copy of it, but you know, I moved so much during my 20s. To be honest, I, I moved so much that I lost my passport. So if I lost my passport, I certainly was not keeping track of American Girl magazine. <laughs> right. It's like when you when you live in New York and you're moving that amount, it's like your birth certificate, your social security card, mm-hmm. your American Girl magazine debut, those things all go missing eventually. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh my goodness. And then Monica, you mentioned that your mother helped you um fill out this um, application for your paper doll, but what was your mom's involvement like in general with American girls? She, I, I think, well, it's funny now that we're talking about it because now that we're talking about it, I realized that I must have been much more into American girl than my sister was because there's no reason that my mother would send in this stuff for me, but not send it for my sister, except that <laughs> right. I was really into it. Um, you know, my mom was really, really encouraging of me reading and reading books, um, and just learning in, in any way possible. Um, and you know, I get now, so I'm a parent now and I can completely see why parents would just love this. I mean, um, compared, you know, I, like I think about it as a parent, like what's not to love about it, right? It's, it's not electronic. It's not screen time. Um, you know, they're, they're girls too, which I think is nice sometimes compared to Barbies, which are adults, you know? Um, and so my mom, um, I'm pretty sure was the one who even, you know, found out about American Girl and obviously she had to be the one subscribing to it and buying me the dolls and doing all stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Oh my God. That's an interesting point that like you were the paper doll and not your sister. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean... my sister playing with? I, like now that I think about it, I'm like, I think she was playing with Legos. Like I remember yeah. it was a lot. Um, and she must've been playing with Legos while I was playing with dolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you snooze, you lose. And only one, <laughs> only one person can be the paper doll in a family. So. <laughs> that is so funny. And now you, you, uh, misplaced your passport, your American girl magazine, um, 
throughout all these moves, but do you know where your dolls are? Like, did you keep, keep track of I those? Have, <laughs> I have no idea where they are. I have no, I don't know if they're still at my parents' house or if my parents got rid of them. I have, I have no idea. Um, and I do go back to my parents' house pretty frequently. You know, um, I have a four-year-old and we go there and play with toys and stuff. And I haven't seen them. And actually, I, I also haven't seen any of the old books. So I wonder if my mom gave them to someone who wanted them. You know, I think something that's been present in this conversation is also how expensive all of these things were. Right. You know, the dolls were super expensive. Like this was not like, oh, you pick up like a little Barbie. It was like, they were, they were a lot of money, especially for the nineties. And so my best guess is that after I grew out of them, my mom gave them to someone who wanted them. Um, because I can just see that they, um, you know, they were so pricey and also kind of talking about this too. You know, I feel like I was in American girl magazine when I I was nine, but I want to say that I stopped playing with dolls when I was about 10. You know, I, I wasn't playing with dolls in middle school. And so yeah. I kind of feel like I was the, I was a paper doll right as I was aging out of American Girl. Mm. Yeah. The magazine was like interesting because I feel like it sort of was the last touch point um, as you're transitioning out of American Girl, because it still had a lot of relevant things if you were you know in middle school but um I definitely think like you know the magazine for a lot of people is like the last thing they held on to from American Girl which makes sense um but I kind of love what you said about you know potentially having your dolls given away um because we've talked about that a lot with our past guests some people have you know their dolls in pristine condition some people have their dolls in not so great condition and some people like me you know aren't really sure where their dolls ended up but you bring up a great point which is like the silver lining to potentially having these dolls given away is that they eventually got to someone who maybe would not have been able to participate in American Girl and as much as like you know, I think we miss our dolls, like, or would love to, like, pull them out of the attic once in a while. Like, it it does, like, feel good that, like, you know, the best case scenario is that those got passed on to someone who maybe wouldn't normally have gotten to play with them. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I live in Manhattan. There, I don't have space for a doll. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we don't even have space for our bed. We sleep in the living room. So, I mean, there's <laughs> there's really no place um there's really no place for a doll it's really yeah. like adding another child because they're they're 18 inches so <laughs> <laughs> honestly though I I was saying that I have my Felicity at my apartment now and she's going back to my parents house like I'm just kind of in a, in a holding pattern right now, deciding if I want to rewig her. Um, her hair was cut as our podcast listeners know. I feel like this gets brought up on every single episode. I cut her hair. I bought a new wig. I'm debating whether I want to change out her hair to this uh, wig that does not look like it is of her era. It's a full blowout, <laughs> which I purchased by accident from a lovely Etsy seller, but didn't really consider um, <laughs> what it would look like on her. But, you know, the past couple of guests that we've had on, like, do you actively have American Girl dolls and are growing their collections? And I'm so tempted by that. But I was like, no, I live, I live in New York. I do not have the space. Like this could not like if I bought more accoutrement, it would be out in the open. Like I, <laughs> there's nowhere to put it. Yeah. That's what a parent's yeah. house is for. That's it's why truly. they live in the suburbs and we live <laughs> in the city. Honestly <laughs> though, <laughs> it's so true. Um, so prior to us chatting today, Monica, you also shared that you had started an American girls club with your friends. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what that entailed? You know, I think it really just entailed club meetings. I put that in quotation marks in my parent, in our basement. Um, and we would bring all our dolls together. We would have our dolls. I don't, you know, I don't really think we, I don't, 
we didn't do anything, but we all just love the dolls and we would, we would play with the dolls together. That's so cute. Really cute. I found an old blog entry that I wrote in my early twenties about, and keep in mind, I had not thought about American girls from like the ages of like 10 to 30. Like there was a huge gap, but there was one tiny point in my early twenties when I was speaking about it with my girlfriends, many who I had just met when I moved to New York. And we realized that we all either had Felicity or Molly. Like there weren't too many Samanthas in our group. Like it was, it, it was very Felicity heavy, did your friends all gravitate towards different dolls in your American girl club or otherwise? Yeah. I, I want to say my friend Natalie had Samantha and um, we, so Natalie had Samantha. And then at one point I had, you know, sort of had three dolls because I had Felicity and Addie. And then my sister had Kirsten. So I want to say Natalie had, had Samantha and then now I can't remember who else was in our club um I feel like there had to have been someone else besides me (laughs) um now that I'm talking about it I cannot for the life of me remember who the third person was um but you know talking about talking about Samantha just and going back into this like idea of history I remember feeling connected to Samantha because my grandparents lived in Lloyd Harbor, which is the gold coast of Long Island. And so when we would drive out there, we would see these old, you know, Victor- really big Victorian houses, or um, or we would go to say like the Vanderbilt estate, you know, the we live love it. Vanderbilt estate. And just reading the history about the Victorian, I guess it was Victorian age, right, in the books, and then seeing these houses, and I would picture Samantha living there and I would picture the tiny room that Nellie lived in and I want to say that that was part of playing like my friend Natalie would come out to my grandma's house my grandparents house with me and I want to say that we would look at those houses and picture the girls there and and picture the history there um which is such a gift that the, the American Girl Dolls gave us this ability to kind of like look at something in your life and then see kind of all the layers of it like like think about like oh what was that like in the 1940s and what was it like in you know the early 1900s and I remember thinking that too with with Molly um you know Molly's waiting for her father to come home from the war and I remember just sometimes waiting for my father to come home from work and imagining that I was like Molly waiting for her father um and I just love how the book's allowed us to to do that you know to uh, allowed us to really enter into this other world and and see our world for what it was before instead of just Mm. at this one moment yeah that's a great point like American Girl really gave us the framework and opportunity to imagine ourselves in these situations in the past and I think you know so much of uh playing pretend and you know, using your imagination. I mean, it, it could be in the future, you know, it could be some uh, mystical scenario. It could be a, a present day uh, scenario, but what was so special about American Girl is that it really gave us the knowledge and tools to um, put ourselves into the past where I don't think if I you know, had those books and had that knowledge, I wouldn't necessarily be playing in that space and those eras, which I was as well, Monica. And I think, and I hope that, you know, kids today and in the future, like are able to access and tap into that. Um, and that there are, you know, resources, like, I don't think American girl historic books are as, you know, prevalent as they were back in like the nineties, early two thousands and eighties, even. Um, mm. but I hope, I hope that kids are still finding those, you know, historic books that let them, um, escape to a faraway land. So I'm so happy that like your dreams came true. You kind of manifested being an author, you put it into print, you put it in the universe <laughs> and 
it came to be. That's amazing. Monica, this is a question that we love hearing from, from all of our guests joining us on the podcast. And that is what lasting impression did American girl leave on you? Well, and actually one of the things that came up in conversation with Sam, since I did interview with Sam, I want to say not last summer, but the summer before is she was getting in touch with the, she was getting, trying to get in touch with all everyone who had been a paper doll. And basically like her, one of her central questions was like, what did American girl say about what it meant to be an American girl? Which I think is really interesting in terms of like how American girl defined both girlhood and being American. And I think Laura was, you know, was touching upon that with other languages and, and being immigrants, um, having dolls who are immigrants. And I, I do, you know, think about like the degree to which American Girl dolls and American Girl magazine shaped our understanding of both like girlhood and Americanness and and what it um how it became part of, of how those things are defined. Yeah, that's so true. Like American I feel like the way that American girl portrays being American is like a patriotism I can get behind. Whereas like the way that we see that portrayed, I guess, like in modern media is like, I don't want to be like associated with patriotism, but like Mm -hmm. if patriotism equaled like engaging with like stories of like strong women through history, through like, the lens of like girlhood sign me up so I feel like it (laughs) was like it was like a non-toxic form of like being patriotic and it was like you know a form that over the years got even more diverse but was Mm -hmm. attempting at least from the beginning to um capture you know the common stories and also the not so common ones so yeah I mean I think they tread this really interesting difficult line where where you know, because as far as I remember, I feel like, well, maybe not so much with Samantha, but I do feel as though with Felicity and Addie and Molly, you know, those were all war stories. It was, it was all these moments when America itself was in crisis and mm-hmm. wouldn't even exist anymore. And I think that's such an interesting choice for American girl to make that they're choosing these moments of change and these moments of crisis. And I think that's part of why I started seeing all of these American girl memes. And I, I, there was almost, I think like an American girl resurgence during COVID was because COVID also felt like this moment of crisis, this moment of change, and maybe like these moments that changed what it means to be an American. Right. I think that obviously the war, which was Felicity, that created Americanness, you know, Addie in the Civil War and Molly in World War II. Like those were all moments when like to be American changed. Um, And so I I mean, I I talking about this with both of you, it it makes me feel inspired all over again. It, It makes me feel drawn into these stories again. I think there's a lot of depth that we don't see when we're kids, but I think part of why we're returning to these stories, I think it goes beyond nostalgia. You know, I think that they are actually really pinpointing these defining moments in American history. Yeah. And I think it's like very much the idea of like to be American in these contexts is to like be resilient. Um, And the way that they handle their resilience is different based on their circumstances. But regardless of their backgrounds or what issues they're dealing with, like their resiliency, I think is like the one really powerful common thread through the story. And, you know, like, I I think, especially for girls to see that um, at every point of history, you know, is so special and unique that they were able to, to have that come through so strong on the page that like, we're still remembering it today as we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there's always that evolution there. Like we see so much um, of our history as Americans being tumultuous, you know, at very different points and that continues to happen. But the constant is that, you know, and we've talked about this on past, past, on past podcast episodes as well. Um, but it's not 
you know, looking into the day-to-day lives is so important to see how people handled themselves during really um, chaotic times, times of great uncertainty, because, you know, seeing, seeing how life goes on and what the day-to-day looks like, especially from the perspective of a young girl experiencing uh, the time periods, I think is really interesting. And that always um, really resonated with my interests in American Girl and in history in general to see what it would be like if I was in that time period. And I think having, you know, these books is so important for girls and, you know, completely uh, aligned with you on the point of why there was such a resurgence during COVID, you know, showing that this was a time, you know, not unlike you know, many moments in our past that have been, um, more tumultuous, uh, than other points in history though, arguably so, you know, (laughs) but it really just kind of, you know, brought us back to that, that nostalgia factor and kind of remembering like times are tough right now, but life also may go on. Here's how, you know, in our childhood, we saw it being reflected with these characters mm-hmm. and this is how they, they manage their, their day-to-days. Yeah. For me, American Girl left this impact that my choices mattered, that I had power and that these small decisions that I made were actually not small at all. Um, the American Girl books made me feel really powerful And they showed me the ways in which ordinary people are part of history. Beautiful answer. (laughs) Monica, you were a fan of the books growing up, and I'm hoping that you remember the characters moderately well here. But if you were to host a dinner party and you were allowed to bring two American girls or their family and friends along (laughs) to dine with you, what two characters would you choose? And just to um, give you some thought process here, like these would be characters that will be interacting with each other. They'll be interacting with you. It'll be a whole night of fun for the three of you. Who are the two that you're choosing? I would say Felicity and Addie. You know, Felicity was so independent. She named her horse Penny, right? After independence. I I just loved Felicity's personality and then Addie too you know Addie escaped to slavery on the Underground Railroad I mean how incredible is that and um those were the two dolls I had growing up and and they were definitely they're definitely the two that I would love to have at a a dinner party yeah they definitely have like I feel like the two like most interesting points I think of conflict in American history that they would be so full of like just stories but also like advice and like it would be amazing to have those two yeah definitely that would be probably a heated conversation for sure oh yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but very very interesting and uh, I mean our we talk about this a lot, but it would just be so interesting to, you know, either a see some sequels from all of the American girls and learn about their lives after we see them in the books, but also having a moment to see them all interact with each other, you know, at the age of 10 and somehow kind of teleport them all together and see what those conversations are like between all of the all of the dolls but yeah all right so we're gonna skip the celeb game um (laughs) but Monica this was such a joy to have you on today thank you so so much for joining us in conversation you are our very first paper doll to have on the podcast and we couldn't (laughs) be more thrilled to learn a little bit more about that process and then your overall experiences with AG so thank you so much for joining us Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really enjoyable. And it's so funny how I I feel like in our conversation, I discovered so many things and put into words all these things that maybe were underlying, but I never really articulated. And I, I feel like it was such an engaging conversation. Yay. I feel like we just did group therapy together, honestly. <laughs> 
Totally. I feel like we just did like a symposium. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, I feel like we did like some inner child work also with some like, some like critical like thinking and like discussion questions. So it was like a, a, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. <laughs> right. And now Monica, where can everybody find you after this? So I would say the best place for people to find me is on Amazon. Um, my, my books are on Amazon, especially, um, I have a recent collection of poetry called English Kills, which um, the the name English Kills actually comes from um, the name of a, a creek in Brooklyn um, called English Kills. Kills was the Dutch word for stream or water. And so, but yeah, the, I would say the best place for people to find me is on Amazon. If you look up Monica Wendell, you'll be able to find my books there. And I'm also on Instagram, um, Monica Wendell Writing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Monica, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to American Girl Women. For more AG Women content, follow us on IG at American Girl Women or send us your American Girl stories via AmericanGirlWomen at gmail.com. We might just read them on the pod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts.